Hey, welcome back to Letters to Women. It's a podcast where we embrace and explore what it means to live out the feminine genius in our everyday, ordinary lives as Catholic women. You know, I've never read much from Gemma Galgani before, but I have recently discovered a couple of passages from her writings that have been sitting with me and that I've been meditating on for the past couple of weeks. And I want to share this one. Jesus says to Gemma Galgani, My daughter, if the cross was not felt, it could not be called a cross. Be certain that if you stand beneath the cross, you will never be lost. The devil has no power over those souls who weep near the cross. And then my favorite line, how many would have abandoned me if I had not crucified them? And that was what I've been wrestling with. Because the verb crucified isn't something that I would normally put in the relationship that I have with God, right? I think that God loves me, that God cares for me, that God is my savior, that he saves me, but that God crucifies me. That just didn't seem to fit. And, but as I was wrestling with it, I realized that that is what God, the father and his interaction with Jesus looked like this crucifixion. And so if I am a beloved daughter of God, how much more too does he invite me into that crucifixion? I've once heard this really beautiful description of a cross as something that we don't want, we didn't choose, and we can't change. And sister, I don't know what that cross is, but I know that you're carrying one in your own daily life because I know that the Lord invites each and every single one of us to pick up our cross and to follow him. So whatever cross you are carrying, I want to invite you this Lent to not just resign yourself to the fact that you are carrying a cross, but instead to embrace it. And that's why I'm excited to share today's conversation with you because my guest today embraces her cross so beautifully. As you lean in to embrace your cross, sister, this letter's for you. Hey, we're welcoming to the podcast, Therese Williams. She is the author of a brand new book, Love Your Cross, How Suffering Became Sacrifice, published by Tan Books. Welcome to Letters to Women, Therese. It's so good to have you here. Thank you for having me. So in today's episode, we're going to be diving deep into this ancient question of why God lets bad things happen to good people, why embracing our cross is something different than just resigning ourselves to the fact that crosses exist in life, and how to combat the shame that often surrounds asking others for help. So it's a conversation that I think is so beautifully timed as we get ready to enter in the Lenten season. But Therese, before we begin, for listeners who haven't met you or heard your story, can you share about your story as a Catholic woman? My family has always been devoted, my family and I, of course, as the youngest of 15 children, have always been devoted to Jesus in the Eucharist and Our Lady in the Rosary. So those two devotions are at the center of my life, and... Growing up, my father and mother taught us the importance of going to Mass to receive the Eucharist, to be filled with Jesus' life. Also, we prayed the Rosary every night as a family. These were mandatory growing up as children, but then when I became an adult, I, I loved the devotions and... I adopted those devotions for myself and put them at the center of my life. So the Mass for me is, is everything. With, I think without the Mass, I would be dead. 
physically, but also spiritually. I say physically first because um, the Eucharist works miracles for people who are suffering with illness. Chronic illness, it, it gives them hope. Jesus gives us hope to, to be able to accept, embrace, and love our cross uh, without receiving Jesus in my body physically through the Eucharist, I would lose all sense of hope and love. So I thank God and I thank my parents and my brothers and sisters all working together to, to, to support me in keeping my faith in God and teaching me, first of all, the importance of having faith in the Eucharist. I love when you're sharing your story about growing up uh, with siblings and families and, and family rosary and family mass. I, I'm the oldest of eight, so half the siblings are at least <laughs> a little, <Yeah. laughs> but I just have so many good memories of growing up. Yeah. And like the, for us, it was like Tuesday mornings at 9 a.m. We all were in adoration together. I love what you're saying about though that the Eucharist isn't just something that sustains us spiritually though it's something that sustains us physically, our very bodies. It's so beautiful that the Lord comes yeah. and interacts with us physically in our bodies. Yeah, and he, and he had a purpose in doing that. He said, eat my body and drink my blood so that you can have life and have it to the full. Yeah, and as you mentioned, um, going to adoration every morning as a family, my dad used to take um, various ones of us throughout the years to Eucharistic adoration, to do a holy hour. And it taught us to appreciate more and more the Eucharist and, and what the Eucharist is meant to signify in our life. And it also taught us discipline. Sometimes I don't think our world focuses on the importance of discipline um, because we just want to do whatever we want to do in a moment but discipline of going to adoration teaches a child to come to know Jesus for themselves in a really simple and beautiful way a child who who goes to adoration and learns how to approach Jesus um, in adoration is like planting a seed in the child's life of growing in in their faith in the Eucharist. And hopefully they, they love going to adoration because as they grow into adulthood, that discipline of going before the Lord in silence and adoration will teach them how to go before the Lord in their lives just as they are and surrender to him in the Eucharist and feel his love for them in the Eucharist. Therese, you're speaking so beautifully into the season of your childhood. And I think something that adoration has taught me that my parents taught me was that you can go to the Lord in times of joy, but also going to the Lord in times of sorrow or in times that are sometimes shrouded in mystery. We don't know what's going on. You know, in your yeah. in your book, you write so beautifully about your story, how you were stricken with an illness at 18 months 
and then you've lived as a quadriplegic for more than 40 years and how the Lord has invited you. You speak so beautifully about this throughout the book to embrace a cross. Can you speak into how you've journeyed into that embrace and how embracing your cross in your daily life is different than just saying, well, this is, you know, this is just what it is or resigning yourself to it. Yes. It's been a daily journey. It's been a, a, a yearly journey that I have come to accept and to embrace my illness as, as a gift from God, not as a curse, but as a gift from God. And I've been able to do that primarily because he put me in a family that has chosen to care for me. I have all these brothers and sisters who have chosen to love me and to support me and to care for my daily needs. So it makes it easier to embrace my cross within that family of love. I feel sorry for people who don't have families to support them and and they have to go through a chronic illness all alone. I can't imagine what that's like to be just thrown away, you know. I could never imagine that. But as a child, I remember not feeling like I needed to be part of the crowd because I was put in this family where people, there were so many people to love me that I didn't really feel like I needed a whole lot of extra entertainment. I felt that my illness was enough for me to deal with. And I, yes, I had friends. I had a lot of friends. But I didn't feel like I I was missing out on, you know, what an 8-year-old did or what a 9-year-old did or a 10-year-old did because my brothers and sisters always gave me the emotional support that I needed at those ages. Like, they'd take me on a merry-go-round. They'd take me sledding. They'd take me hiking in the woods. They danced with me, you know, they picked me up and, and twirled me around and danced with me and all of these things that, that a child does at each stage of development, they pretty much figured out how to do with me. I didn't feel like I was missing out on, and people ask me, well, how did you feel as a teenager when you were, you know, going through teenage years and you felt misunderstood or like a reject or a freak or something i say well when god gave me a certain gift and a certain vocation to live out as a quadriplegic so i don't really focus on what i can't have or what i'm maybe missing out on because god chose me for himself and as i grew up he has taught me what that means. To set, he, he set me apart for himself. So I say, if Jesus called me to be his friend, companion, and I dare say even his spouse as a virgin, that is what I am going to do. That is what I choose to do. That is how I choose to live. I am set apart from the world, yes, because God has asked that of me. And when God asks us to do something, I believe we should do it. Otherwise, in the end, it's not going to work out so well. (laughs) I love how you speak into 
<laughs> and, and that you say this is a choice too, that, that you actively are participating in God's story for your life and you're choosing to see it as a gift instead of a curse or a yeah. burden. That's beautiful. I always say Jesus is the best friend you could ever have. He's never going away. You know, the other people go away from you in life. That's just how life works. They go away from you. Whether you want that or whether, you know, this life kind of separates us from from people who who we think are friends and then we make new friends and all of this kind of stuff. We're constantly making new friends. But Jesus is Jesus is constant. Jesus is permanent. He's he's not going away. He tells us that. He's there. Um, if a mother forgets you, I will never forget you. You know, and and I say, do I believe him when he says that or don't I? Jesus is truth. So if I don't believe what he says, it's my problem. It's not his problem. You know, Therese, when people encounter suffering in the world and in their own lives, I hear a lot of people, instead of recognizing that God is a friend, that yeah. it's, instead they say something to the extent of, why would a good God, a good God who is a friend to me, allow this to happen in my life? Or maybe it's in the life of someone they love and they're asking this age old question. You speak into this so beautifully in your book. Why would a good God let bad things happen to those that he love? And in your book, you write that there's really no short answer to that question. We've been asking it for a long time and there's not a short, a a short answer. And you say instead that it's, it's really something that we have to answer in, in our own lives. So in your life, as you've endured the suffering, have you found your answer to that question? Well, it's a daily uh, answer that I'm trying to find. But yes, if I if I reflect on it, he's given me the answer. He's he gives me the answer every day, even when I don't want to accept it. The answer is what Saint Paul says: We fill up what is lacking in the suffering of Christ. What is it? Corinthians one. That means it doesn't it doesn't mean that Christ's suffering wasn't perfect. No, it means that. I am a fallen human being in need of forgiveness and redemption. And I am filling up what is lacking in the suffering of Christ when I participate and offer up the crosses that I bear to him. And and that's the answer. We the answer is to to choose to participate in the suffering of Christ. Why? Because he suffered, died, and rose again out of love for me. He didn't have to do that. He could have chosen to redeem me many other ways, but he chose to show sacrificial love and lay down his life for me. And if I can't do the same for my brothers and sisters, then I don't think I'm being a very good friend to Jesus. I ask him all the time, what do you want from me? How do you want me to love you? How do you want me to love my brothers and sisters who irritate me and all this kind of stuff? And he tells me, he tells me, what does he say? Love your cross. (laughs) (laughs) Not not always the answer that we want to hear, but it's a good one, right? (laughs) Exactly. You're speaking into consoling his heart. So beautifully. Therese, your life is such a consolation to his heart. That's what Mother Teresa told us to do. Let's satiate the thirst of Jesus. 
That was her life. That was her mission. She satiated the thirst of Jesus. And it changes how we look at suffering, too. When we look at suffering as a way to satiate the thirst of Christ, it's redemptive. It's redemptive. It redeems our suffering when we get to connect it to the Lord's. And then it's not something that we we have to do and that we get to trudge through. It's something we get to do. We get to suffer with the Lord. What an honor that the Lord dies for us and suffers for us. And we too get to die and suffer with the Lord. Like there's no better companion that we can have in suffering than Jesus. Exactly. When we, when I look at a crucifix, I don't see, I mean, yes, I see the cruelty that was inflicted on Jesus and I, and I cry for that. But at the same time, I also cry out of love and joy because of the love that he showed to me personally and to the whole world by laying down his life. There's no there's no better example of love than Jesus. Yeah, he shows us so beautifully on the cross how love and suffering are so intertwined. What is the crucifix, the crucifixion without love? And what is it without suffering? It's, it's missing a part if you take a, a, a part of that love or a part of that suffering away. Yep. The cross without Jesus is just a, a piece of wood. For listeners who are listening to this episode, maybe they're carrying a cross. Maybe they've been vulnerable and shared it with someone. And the person they shared it with has just said, well, you should offer that up. And it's sometimes something we say flippantly, like, oh, offer it up. It's a Catholic buzzword or a Catholic phrase. Yeah, right. What does it really mean to offer up our suffering? And for, for listeners, can you share some practical ways that we can offer up that daily suffering to the Lord? Yes. I'd like to give you a visual of offering up suffering. Let's look at the Blessed Mother standing at the foot of the cross for a moment and how she looked up at Jesus and she just gave her total self to him. She cried because of the cruelty that we inflicted on her son and how can we ever imagine how much that hurt her heart. One of the biggest hearts, aside from Jesus' heart, her heart is immensely filled with love. And she willingly stood beneath the cross and accepted to watch her son die the most painful death. Can we ever imagine how she felt? She offered all of that up to Jesus to Jesus and to the Father. And I think that we can take her example of total surrender, total obedience, total love, and try to um, follow that, exemplify that in our own lives, you know? Our Lady is just offering us this perfect example of what it means to offer up her suffering to the Lord, to console his heart, to be present with him, And then Uh to offer up the suffering that she's experiencing also to the Lord as well. You've mentioned this in our conversation, but I would love to dive deeper into this with you. You write about your relationship with your siblings and your family and how they care for you through your life. And you write in the book, if you don't have a large family like me, maybe they're friends or people you have not met yet, that will be your assignment of Cyrene. Help is needed when our cross gets too heavy. And not only is there no shame in asking for help, but we have a duty to ask for that help. Can you talk about that duty that we have to ask for help and how to overcome the shame that sometimes surrounds not being able to do something by ourselves? Yes. 
ask for help is is a humiliating act um, because we want to we want to be in control. We want to do things on our own. Now I have learned that it's okay to ask for help and to put aside how people might look when they have to ask for help. I don't really worry about appearances too much because God has placed me in a unique situation where I am not able to dwell on how things look for the very reason that if I don't get help, I could be in serious physical trouble. It's not a problem for me to ask for help. It's a matter of life and death. Do I want to die? Do I want to not ask for help and die? Or do I want to humble myself, in a sense, and ask for help so that I can live a better quality of life? Um, There are many things I wish I could do for myself, wipe my eyes, you know, rub my back or rub my arm when it hurts, whatever it might be. Drink a glass of water without choking and needing to be suctioned. Um, get a glass of water for my whatever it might be, little things. Get in my chair to go out for a walk. I have to ask people to do all this all these little things for me. But I think I think that the people that surround me are willing to do those things for me because they see that I am really in need of their help, and they love me. So they will do those things for me, even if I'm being a pain in the neck, asking them a million times a day to do something for me. I'm cognizant of that, and I try to be kind and polite when I'm asking. That's the other thing. Please and thank you are really important words to use when you're asking for help on a on a minute-to-minute basis so that you're not a drag on on other people that you give to them you know i i try to smile because as my parents taught me a smile lifts people up and makes them feel better that's something i can give i can't give a lot physically but i can certainly give a lot emotionally i can make people feel better i can inspire people to be the best that they can be in their life i can inspire people to to love to know, love, and serve God because God loves me and I want to share that love with others. These are things that I can give to people. So he's given me the gift of writing. That's how I express myself. That's how I communicate with others. A lot of writing. I can't I can't walk over to the sink and do the dishes for my sister, but I can give her a smile when she's doing the dishes. I can say thank you for giving me dinner, you know? So asking for help is is something that that God demands of me in this cross that he's asked me to carry. So we have to, we, we think about it that way. Um, what does he demand of us in our crosses? He demands that we love, that we, that we um, humble ourselves before him and acknowledge that we can't, carry the cross by ourselves. We need him to carry it with us. We need others to carry it with us. I can't tell you how many times a day I have to talk with my sisters about stuff just to just to let go of things that are bothering me so that 
I can better love others. And, and they teach me how to do that. My sisters teach me how to do that. You know, it's not a, it's not a one-way street. It goes both ways. When I ask them for help, they're helping me physically and emotionally. And then I try to be cognizant of how I can help them at the same time. So it's an act of humility. Therese, for people who want to read more about your story and in your, your in your book, Love Your Cross, you dig into so so much more than we could ever get to in a conversation. Where can they find a copy of your book? They can go to Tan Books. They can go to Amazon.com. They can go to Barnes & Noble online. And they can also go to the EWTN Religious Catalog. In, in these conversations that I have with women on this podcast about exploring what it means to live out the feminine genius in our daily life and exploring what it means to journey back to the Lord's heart, particularly as women in today's world. Therese, the last question that I ask is when I ask every woman who comes on the show, and it's this, how do you embrace the feminine genius as a woman in your daily life who's intimately familiar with the sufferings of Jesus? Well, I think as a woman... Having the heart of, of a woman is, is, is big. It's, um, a woman's heart is filled with love and wanting to care for others. And I would suggest that we model ourselves after Our Lady, who is the perfect model of what it means to be a woman by the very fact that she has given her heart to God the Father, to Jesus, and then to us. And a woman is is a nurturer. She's she's a she's a caring vessel and a woman always wants to help somebody else. So I've I've come to discover that I'm not able to be a a, a mother physically, but I am able to be a spiritual mother. I I get very hurt by people I see who are choosing to live a destructive life apart from God, it, it saddens me, and I want to be able to encourage them to turn their eyes to the Lord because he's everything. He's hope. He's love. He's faith. He's generosity. He's meekness. He's every virtue that we should aspire to. And I, I just want to try to help our young people, especially, who, who don't know or understand what their purpose in life is yet. As a spiritual mother, I pray for them, and I try to be an example of, of a faithful woman, of a hopeful woman, and a loving woman. I have a lot of nieces and nephews who are struggling as teenagers to understand their place in life, to understand their purpose in life. A lot of them focus on how they look. Am I, am I beautiful? Am I special? Am I, you know, whatever they are, whatever they ask. And I say, yes, you are, because you have been given to your parents by God. You are a gift from God. You don't need to worry about how you look. God made you as you are. And because he made you that way, you are beautiful. You don't need to compare yourself to your peers. You're, you're not going to be like them. You're going to be who you are. So 
you are beautiful because God made you. God loves you. God has given you your own purpose in life. And you should be happy about that. A woman can do that for someone. A woman can care like that and give her heart like that in service to others. Tris, thanks so much for coming on the show today, for for sharing your story, for sharing your heart with us. It's just been such a beautiful conversation. It's been such an honor to have you on the show today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to today's show. If you head over to oldfashionedgirlblog.com, you'll find the show notes. My blog recently got a redesign, so go over there and check it out. You'll find it links to Therese's book. But I'm also going to link to a resource that I found super helpful. Therese and I talked a lot about, in the beginning of today's episode, how we grew up saying the rosary with our family. And so I'm going to link to a resource. I work for an organization called Holy Family School of Faith. And every day we send out a rosary meditation. And this isn't just... The Our Fathers, the Hail Marys, the Glory Bees. It's really been, especially for myself personally, a chance to enter deeper into meditation, to take the rosary one step deeper from vocal prayer to meditative prayer. So you can find more about that rosary podcast at dailyrosary.net or head over to oldfashionedgirlblog.com and check it out in the show notes. So that's all I have for you this week. I hope you have a blessed first week of Lent. And until we talk next time, be not afraid.